Can I have that mic? Thanks. Um, parents, I hope that you're encouraged by Jessica's willingness to pursue this role and help uh, you in the work of discipling your kids. And kids, you matter. We love you. We're grateful you're here. And now you can go. <laughs> um, Josh, would you throw up that picture? Uh, several of us this week went to uh, a conference in, they say it this way there, Louisville. I would call it Louisville, but they say Louisville. Um, 10,000 brothers and sisters gathered to study the scriptures together for four days. It was wonderful. Uh, there is much to be encouraged about that God is doing around the world. There are a lot of great churches, great people that the Lord is using. We're deeply thankful for that. One of them happens to be here. Natasha, would you come? Um, this is, uh, for those who don't know, this is Tasha. She is a dear sister that uh, God has done some great things in her life. And she is part of a church that we are mission partners with in Nidri. If you've been to Nidri on one of the mission trips there, would you stand up? I just want to see how many of you are here today. Yeah, great. So all these folks have been in your crib. Awesome. <laughs> Sit down. Share with us. Um, so I was attending this conference, and um, when the guys were over in October, um, I, me and Randall hatched a plan to come and surprise Leslie um, Murphy, and Chuck asked me to quickly share for three minutes um, what God is doing in Nidri. Um, so just um, quickly, um, we've been really encouraged um, in Nidri, just what God is doing in the doors that he is opening um, there. Um, our youth groups um, primarily are uh, working with the kids in, in our area. We don't have a huge um, amount of kids in our church, um, although that is growing um, pretty rapidly. Mm. Um, but most of the work we do are with kids in our community. And at the moment, our um, sort of five to 11 group um, is really grown. So recently we um, sat down. The last time I was here, I shared that I was interning at Nidri Community Church, and that's changed. I now I'm our their lead uh, youth worker. And so it's my job to lead the team there and to be thinking of ways to how we can better serve Nidri um, and how we can better reach uh, the kids in our area. So we, I sat down with the team and we decided that we would um, relook at how we were um, doing our youth groups. Um, so we rechanged how we were doing things. We, re we changed what we were teaching and we um, decided to just completely scrap what we, what we were doing and started using a whole new material looking at um, just who God was and his characteristics and what was sin and who we are as humans and um, what does it mean to be sinful. Um, so most of, the, most of the kids we work at, we've, most of them we've been building relationships for the last couple of years. So they have a, an awareness of what a Christian is. Um, but other than sort of holiday club or um, our youth group, that's as far as it goes. But one of the biggest things we've been encouraged by is there's now a, a, about a group of eight or ten that come along on a Sunday. Um, and they have been coming along for a couple of months. So, um, And they're now uh, reading a Bible plan. Mm. Um, they are now hanging around probably the church building three or four times a week. Um, so I really do ask for you guys to pray for that. It's a really good opportunity for us to be building a relationship with these guys and their families, um, not just the kids. But it's good for us to meet the parents and... Um, 
one of the benefits I have is um, I grew up in Nidri, um, so I, I know the parents really well. Most of them I went to school with, um, so they're really comfortable in church isn't such a weird place uh, for their kids to be because they, they're quite aware of who we are and what the church is. Um, so just um, that's kind of what, you know, what God is doing. Um, we were recently, about a year and a half ago, asked to leave the high school. Um, the head teacher there wasn't happy with the sort of Christians being in the high school and doing a sort of Christian club. Um, he was recently um, sacked from his job. And so um, we are now working on ways of just rebuilding the relationship there with the new head teacher. Um, and we've been invited back into do their RE classes um, on sort of God and Christianity. So I've been really encouraged by just the, the doors that God has been opening there and um, just the way that we thought those, those doors were closed for a long time. Um, but they seem quite happy for us to um, be willing to, for us to go back in, but it just seems to be a slow pace. So um, the primary school, which I think is a mixture of middle school and elementary here, um, we don't have, we didn't have any connections up until um, maybe about a year ago, um, but they are now, we have offered us a service to them. It's a bit like a befriending service, so the kids that aren't doing so well in the classroom, um, they have now send referrals that they're happy for us to work one-on-one -on -one with the kids. Um, so particularly do pray for a little girl, she's seven years old, and um, she's spending about an hour in the classroom a day. Um, and so we are spending quite a lot of time with her and her family, figuring out how we better can support her. But it's just a really good opportunity as, as Christians to share the gospel with her family and her even as a young, as a young girl, um, how we can better support her and better get her back in the classroom where she can get an education and, and be better back in. And also just another prayer request would be, <clears throat> um, I am the only Christian in my family. And at the very beginning, that was very difficult. Um, my, my dad used to think the church was just a cult and brainwashing, um, but God has really been at work there. And um, my mum, she was, she did profess uh, faith at one point, um, but for about the last year and a half, she hasn't been attending church. Um, and it's always really difficult. Um, you know, they're never interested in what's going on in my life or my job because it's in church and it's to do with um, being a Christian. But you know, I've really seen God at work there, just sort of breaking down those walls and them taking a wee bit more interest and in even the fact that I'm here on holiday and visiting people and staying with strangers that I wouldn't normally, like, that's just not very normal behaviour and, um, but you know, you just kind of trust that they're safe. So, um, you just go with it. So, um, you know, do pray for that. And another prayer would be, um, as I'm spending the next few months, um, raising support. Um, so at the end of the year, I, I will lose, um, probably about half of my funding, that keeps me in my job, that keeps my salary. Um, so at the end of the year, I will lose half of that. Um, so um, do pray for that. I'm pretty confident that God will provide a way, um, that I'm, I'm pretty certain he wants me to stay in Nidri. Um, and um, I am aware that there is some people in this church who individually um, do give, give to me in, in my job in Nidri. And so for that, I'm very thankful. And I'm also just very thankful for the guys that receive my newsletter and that do pray for me. And just also for the guys that do come and visit us in Nidri were, um, it's, a, it's such an encouragement to us and, um, you know, it's a, just a great help and we're very thankful for the partnership on Church and Mo, so. Awesome. There we go. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to have somebody come pray for you. Okay. Yeah, please. So, uh, thank you for praying. Thank you for 
uh, giving. Thank you for going. All of us can do one of those things. Some of us can do more than one of those things. So we're really grateful for what God's doing in your life, thankful for you. They are not going to listen to me now today because you sound so much cooler than I do. <laughs> you do you have a big, nasty yeah, every frog. Every time I come this side of America, I get sick. So next time I'm not going to bother, I'll just FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we'd love to pray with you. Pam, would you mind praying? Um, Pam helped lead the last team that went over yeah, along with fun. Randall. <laughs> come on, come here. Um, so we're deeply thankful for you and what God's doing. The 20 Schemes has the goal of planting 20 churches in 20 what we would call housing projects, generational poverty, um, lots of sexual abuse, drug abuse, um, very hard ground. And so this beautiful sister in Christ is laboring faithfully there. We're going to pray for you now, and I hope you'll consider praying for her later as well. Pam? Well, dear Heavenly Father, um, first of all, we just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for um, the work that you're doing, not just here at Church on Mill, but um, all over the world, and specifically in Nidri. We thank you that your people are everywhere, and, and that we can be family with people even um, across on the other side of the world. So we ask, Father, that you would continue to bless our family um, in Nidri, and that you would continue to open doors. It is so amazing to hear about being able to get back into the high school, possibly. Yeah. Um, I know that that was a burden for the staff that, that, that seemed to be gone, and yet you must have been working something. And I just pray that the entire staff would take even that small thing that you've done there and allow it to be an incredible encouragement for the next great big thing you're about to do. Yeah. And God, I also want to ask um, for this seven-year-old girl who is now being able to be mentored by, um, by the staff at Nidri, that you would absolutely open her world and open her heart to you, and that she and her family, she and her family and her neighbors and her community would see how great and wonderful you are because of the work that your children, our family in Nidri Community Church are doing and that they've taken interest in this little girl and that they are loving her and that they are loving her well. Thank you for the ways that you allow us to work side by side with you, God. That is amazing. We just thank you for allowing us um, to be part of your plan and I also thank you for um, the doors that seem to be opening, even with Natasha's life. Um, pray for continued interest in this cult-like thing <laughs> that she has come into, that her father would see that that's not what it is, that it is you, the God of the universe, the God of love, the God of grace, God of mercy, the God who saves. Lord, thank you for this time with this beautiful woman. and. Um, Thank you that we were able to surprise Leslie really well. Uh, I pray that um, the rest of her time here on this side of the pond would be fruitful and refreshing. We thank you for all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for sharing with us. Uh, Tasha's going to go over now and talk with the kids in Children's Church, but if you would like to visit with her later, I'm sure she'll come back at the end of the sermon.
That's the way a lot of people prefer to do it. And um, we will ask her to stick around and share. Uh, if you would, please turn with me to Proverbs 5. We are going to be there this morning together. So Proverbs 5. Um, if you're new with us today, we're in a series of sermons called Social Currency. We're essentially trying to look at the five most significant human relationships and what the book of Proverbs in particular has to say about those relationships. So we've looked at friendship. Uh, last year, last year, <laughs> it has been a long week. Last year, we looked at, uh, I said it again, last week, <laughs> we looked at uh, the end of the book of Proverbs and we discussed what it says about how to find a spouse and I've enjoyed talking with many of you about that. Um, today, once we get past the introduction, I want to speak not mainly to our wonderful singles here, like we did last week, but mainly to those of you who are married. So this message, just to put all my cards on the table, is going to be uncomfortable, but you cannot grasp the main message of Proverbs in particular, the main message about relationships, apart from talking frankly about sex. You can't live wisely in a sexualized culture without addressing the dangers. And in particular, what we'll talk about today is you cannot have a healthy marriage without intimacy. So today we're going to consider how a husband and a wife in a marriage can love well. And... Um, I am excited to share with you and hopeful for what God may do today. But I think it w I would be remiss to not make a few introductory comments related to the topic in general. Um, in February, we covered the topic of sex negatively, focusing especially on avoiding sexual sin. So if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And this message will focus primarily on Proverbs says about enjoying the gift of sex in the marital relationship. But part of what we looked at last time from Proverbs 5 is how it teaches us to avoid sexual sin. So a few comments in that regard, and then we'll jump into the text. God's wisdom throughout the Bible tells us to avoid sexual sin. It is impossible to live wisely today without carefully formed convictions and habits of sex and sexuality. One of the things, frankly, I get criticized for um, is talking about sex from the pulpit too much. And um, I understand the criticism. I understand this is an uncomfortable topic. Um, but the Bible has much to say on it. And this issue is ravaging our culture and if there's a place people ought to be able to go to hear what God says about the topic, it should be here. So I have no intention of offending or pushing envelopes or trying to be hip and cool by saying things in church that some others might. I do have a strong desire to pass on what God says in his word about the topic. Sexual brokenness is destroying lives all around us. Almost every single day, I end up in a conversation with someone who is either struggling themselves to stop something or they're struggling with what someone else has done to them. 
almost every single day. This is a massive issue. God's word offers the chemotherapy of grace needed to kill the cancer of sexual sin. So we have to talk about this. It's an urgent, important need. Broad American culture has determined that sexual expression in any form with whomever you want is a fundamental right that must be recognized as such. Are you seeing that? You cannot listen to a news story today without hearing that. It is filling the airwaves. To say some things are morally wrong and inherently harmful is becoming considered hate speech. As long as there is consent among adults, we seem to be becoming a culture that believes anything goes. The worldview that teaches that says that sex, sexuality, and gender are the most crucial forms of personal sex expression. That who you are is whether you identify as a man, a woman, or something else. And who you act out sexually with is the very essence of who you are. And to say anything in love, with gentleness, to question that is to act like people did in the 50s and 60s. That's what we are being told. Enjoy whoever you want to the extreme of switching genders. Uh, Our church has benefited tremendously from the relationships we have with a national parachurch organization called the Gospel Coalition. Um, If you've never been on their website, looked at their resources, I would encourage you to. Lots and lots and lots of great stuff. They have a search field on thegospelcoalition.org. Guess what the number one word searched on the Gospel Coalition's website is? Transgender. The number two word is homosexuality. What that tells us is that those of us who are, who is not all of us, and that's okay, but those of us in the room who call ourselves Christians are struggling with how to understand what's happening around us. We're struggling with this, and we need answers. Clearly, Christians worldwide do not feel equipped to lovingly, wisely, truthfully, winsomely think through these things. Not to change the politics of the nation, but to care for individual souls. If you sign up today for Facebook, you have to choose a gender. Your choices are male, female, or custom, and it has a blank. And you can type in it whatever you want. And then you choose the pronoun that you want to be referred to as. He, she, or them. This is what's happening around us, friends. If you're not seeing it, then you probably don't have relationships with non-Christians because this is filling the conversations that we're having. In the last few weeks, multiple states are dealing with legal bills, litigation, corporate threats over issues such as Who can use what bathroom in public? 
Corporations like Coke, the NFL, Apple, PayPal have told states that are considering um, a particular law that they don't like, we will pull out. The economic pressure is enormous. In this kind of environment, it's thought that the most heinous thing we could ever do is lovingly, gently, winsomely say, some of your physical urges might be harmful to you. Some of what you want might not be best. Because that would be to deny your worth, your value, your dignity as a person. That would be discrimination. So the conversation has shifted extremely fast into such an arena that people are teaching us sex is the ultimate form of self-actualization. So we're not criticizing who can someone be in relationship with. We're criticizing the very essence of how someone understands who they are. Do you hear the difference? Friends, you may be simply following the cultural tidal wave without thinking through the unintended consequences that may come. We're told to follow our hearts, be true to ourselves, never deny who we feel drawn towards sexually. If you sincerely feel it inside, then it must be right. Follow your heart. Can you imagine what would happen if you followed that advice at work? Can you imagine what would happen if you followed that advice with your money? You would have no job and you would have no money. Correct? To believe that any sexual or gender identity urge one might have is right, healthy, normal, and the ultimate expression of who you are is to be a free, liberated, loving, joyful American. It's also to be a fool. Some of you may have heard of a guy named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, 70 years ago, wrote a book called Mere Christianity. I'm going to read a bunch of it today and listen to this part. Poster after poster, film after film, novel after novel, associate the idea of sexual indulgence with the ideas of healthy, normal, youth, frankness, and good humor. Now this, on any conceivable level, quite apart from Christianity, must be nonsense. Surrender to all our desires obviously leads to impotence, disease, jealousies, lies, concealment, and everything that is in the reverse of health, good humor, and frankness. For any happiness, even in this world, quite a lot of restraint is going to be necessary so the claim made by every desire when it is strong to be healthy and reasonable counts for nothing. Friends, that was 70 years ago. There is no way C.S. Lewis ever conceived of what has happened in 70 years. We need to heed his words. But even more, we need to heed God's word. The message of the Bible is not that we think too highly of sex, but that we think too lowly of sex. 
We've obliterated how wonderful it actually is by detaching it from the God-given context and reducing it to mere physical acts. It, It is repressive, dangerous, harmful to not act on your sexual desires, whatever they are. Sex is just an appetite. It's like food. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're horny, you act. Sex is just an appetite, nothing more. That is what you are spooning in every single time you turn on the TV. Look at what C.S. Lewis said about that. You can get a large audience together for a striptease act, that is, to watch a girl undress on the stage. Now suppose that you came to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate on a stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see, just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a piece of bacon. Would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? And would not anyone who has grown up in a different world think there was something equally perplexing about the state of the sex instinct among us. Friends, we live in a time utterly unique in the history of humanity. This has never, ever, ever been this way before. Last year, four billion Four billion, three hundred and ninety-two million four hundred eighty-six thousand five hundred and eighty hours of video porn was watched around the world on just one of the major sites. Never before have millions and millions and millions of people had access to explicit video content at the click of a button under the guise of privacy. This is an enormous opportunity for the gospel to be heard. In 1975, Playboy was at the height of its circulation, and it had 5.6 million subscribers. I was born in 1976. If I, as a teenager, wanted to look at porn, I had to go to a bookstore and steal a magazine. 5.6, that's the very height of that magazine. Today, You simply turn on the computer. Today, 107 million people in the U.S. alone go to porn sites every month. 5.6, 107 million. Do you hear that? Nearly 50% of young men 18 to 39 view porn every week. In the last two weeks... The cover of Time, okay, this is a major, not a Christian publication. The cover of Time two weeks ago was porn. Subtitle, Why Young Men Who Grew Up With Internet Porn Are Becoming Advocates for Turning It Off. You should read this article. This article says, there are so many men, young men, who have watched so much porn that they reach a point of when they can have sex with an actual person instead of the computer screen, they cannot perform. So far apart from morality and Christianity, this Time article says, stay away from it. 
Why? Because you won't be able to have the real thing. The Washington Post, another major non-Christian publication going broadly to culture. This woman asks, is porn immoral? This is the cover, the title. Is porn immoral? That doesn't matter. It's a public health crisis. Her position is, it's not immoral. There isn't morality. That doesn't matter. Okay, so she's not saying, the Bible says to look at somebody naked and lust after them until you can have an orgasm is wrong. She's not saying that. She's saying, porn produces violence in men because a vast amount of porn is violent. It changes the way you think. You become an animal who cannot control yourself. Why am I telling you all this? If you're hearing this sermon today, you are currently alive. If you're currently alive, you are being impacted by this. Whether you realize it or not, this is touching your life. Probably much, much, much closer than you realize. Porn makes a mockery of God's gift of sex. 20 years ago, when I was in college, I had a professor who came out in class as being uh, homosexual, in a relationship. Back then, you didn't do that. It caused a major uproar. Uh, I was a speech student, believe it or not. I know it's hard to tell. I was a speech student. Every opportunity I had, I gave a talk, something related to my Christian convictions. So he knew I was a believer, and he broadcast his coming out. He celebrated it. He told us, pornography is the celebration of the human body. You ought to consume as much of it as you can. And then in front of the entire class, he looked at me and said, if you ever hope to pastor a church, you have to realize you've got to take anyone with any sexual behavior and embrace them or you're going to get run over. Frankly, um, I, I tried to gently encourage the man in private, but I, I thought that was crazy. Now I see it's not. Friends, porn makes a mockery of God's gift of sex. It grieves his heart and it hurts people. If you don't believe me from the Bible, would you at least consider Time Magazine and the Washington Post? Friends, no one wanders into sexual purity. No one. It takes grace-driven work. It takes the community of faith helping each other resist temptation and recovering after failure. The likelihood of someone in this room having not committed some significant sexual sin or been the recipient of someone else's is almost nil. It, it's, it, this is everywhere. Christian men, 
Brothers, you simply must find other men within the church that you can be honest with about your failures. And together, you can fight sexual rebellion with grace and truth. That is a must. You will not make it purely without that. Ladies, sisters, you've got to do the same thing with women. Parents, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, I'll wait and I'll talk to my kids when they're older. I'll coach them then. You are almost certainly too late. Go today, have lunch, and talk with your child. Let's not be a church that stands on Mill Avenue yelling at people, turn or burn. But let's also not be a church that pretends we're somehow immune to sexual temptation. Let's be a church where men honestly say, I'm fighting the treasure of lasting pleasure of knowing Jesus. I'm fighting for that treasure more than the fleeting treasure of sin. Let's be a church where women can honestly say, I have never been treated with more dignity and respect anywhere than by the men in my church. Let's be a church where the truth is shared in love and the repentance can find liberation from their shame and guilt. Let's be a gospel-centered church. That was my introduction. I hope you brought lunch. We're going to be here a while. Here's a question I want us to think about together today. What does Proverbs commend about sexual intimacy in a marriage? What does Proverbs say is good about it? What does it commend? Or another way to say that, husbands and wives, how can you love each other well physically? Proverbs 5 Verse 15, Proverbs 5, 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Turns out that Beyonce song must be biblical. Drunk in love. There it is. Verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquity of the wicked ensnare him. He's held fast by the cords of sin. That's what this is saying. Held fast by the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Uh, Proverbs 5 is graphic. It describes the wife as a cistern and the husband as a fountain. It names specific body parts and says to enjoy them. It commands spouses to delight in each other sexually. Friends, Proverbs unapologetically 
affirms the beauty, the goodness, and the joy of sex between a husband and a wife. This father giving advice to his son doesn't say, son, avoid sex, it'll get you in a lot of trouble. Don't say that to your kids, parents. Instead, he says, enjoy sex with your wife. Intimate, private, precious time in bed with your spouse is good, it's godly, it's right, and it is so much better than any of its perversions. Wives, God is saying in Proverbs 5, be sensuous with your husband. Pursue sexual intimacy. Enjoy being enjoyed. Husbands, God is saying, don't just pursue sex with your wife for yourself. Love her, treasure her, cultivate a sweet intimacy with her. Within the marriage relationship, husbands ought to be the best of friends, the closest of allies, the tightest of teams, and lovers. Proverbs 5 is saying the best defense against falling into sexual sin is to enjoy your spouse. He's saying, for God's glory, leave your inhibitions behind. Love each other well. There's a marital satisfaction sexually that can't be found with any other woman. That's what the Father's saying. He's saying all the other things that look like eye candy are going to kill you. It's not going to turn out the way you think. God's remedy for sexual sin in the whole scope of the Bible is first to give Jesus your greatest affection so the power of sin can be broken in Christ. And second, the remedy is God-glorifying, deeply satisfying sex within marriage. Now, the, the folks that write commentaries, so a commentary is a big, thick book usually about a book in the Bible. And um, I don't imagine most commentators to be wild people. Okay, these are scholars. These are dudes that sit with little glasses and a pipe. They're hermits and they study. One of them I've used the most says this, the quality of her lovemaking is totally satisfying and its quantity unending. That's what Proverbs 5 is saying. Now, understand, to have great sex in marriage, you've got to be giving your whole self, not just your body. Spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally, there has to be a complete bearing, openness, gentleness, love. You can't be harsh with your words and expect tenderness in the bed. You can't be distant and cold and then expect to be united. It doesn't work. Couples, you've got to give your whole self if you're going to experience the intimacy that God has designed for you. 
The Bible tells us that sex is a uniting act. That when a man and a woman join in intimacy, that it's more than body parts. That there's a physical, spiritual union taking place. That's why sexual sin is so harmful. God is telling us thousands of years ago, this is what happens if you don't do it my way. He's protecting us. He's not a prude. It was his idea. C.S. Lewis, who, by the way, at the time of writing, Mere Christianity, was single, said this. The monstrosity, the dude has a way with words, does he not? The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union from all the other kinds of union, which they intend to go along with it and make up the total union. You must not isolate that pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasures of taste without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and spitting them out again. Lewis is good. Proverbs is better. Here's what he says, verse 21. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and God ponders all his paths. Please hear me. God is watching. God knows everything. God is just. What you think you are doing in private and no one else knows is already in the light of God. And it will come out in the life of people. You will not be able to conceal sexual escapades whether they're on your computer or in, quote-unquote, real life, you will not be able to hide it your whole life. Why? Because God loves you. And what happens in the dark is dangerous and harmful. God wants you to live in the light, to live freely and joyfully. My prayer is today that you would repent that we would repent. I am well aware that easily half of the people in this room were watching videos of other people having sex this week. Would you repent? You did not do that in private. God saw and it grieved him. I'm also praying that couples whose marriages are on the brink of catastrophic failure would make a decision to start down a path of healing today. Now, maybe this is just weird, obscure, tucked away in Proverbs and it's nowhere else in the Bible. First Corinthians 7. Turn with me there. First Corinthians 7. That is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians 7. Let me show you another passage. We'll make some application for believers. We'll make some application for unbelievers. And then I hope, 
I hope that the power in God's word will so convict us that no one will leave this room without responding to him. Verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then hopefully your Bible has quotations. So this church in Corinth wrote Paul a letter and asked some questions. One of the things they wrote is this saying that was apparently common in the church in Corinth. It is good for a man not to have sexual, sexual or sexual relations with a woman, end quote. So the church, people in the church were saying that. I'm glad I'm not a member of that church. Verse 2, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, likewise the wife to her husband. For, so explaining, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the The wife does not have authority over his own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That sounds a lot like Proverbs. Maybe Paul read it. In some ways, Corinth was to the Roman Empire what Las Vegas is to America. It was a place of pleasures, wrapped up with spiritual language. Apparently, some married Christians in Corinth were taking on an ascetic lifestyle. That is, they were refraining from sex altogether, believing that that's what Christians should do. So, it's bad. Inherently, it's wrong. Paul says that's sinful and it's stupid. He says a husband and a wife ought to happily enjoy each other. Friends, refraining from sex in marriage is not healthy, except in cases where both spouses decide to go on a sex fast, if you will, for the purpose of prayer. Do you see that? Not my words. This is God's words. Jill and I have been married this year 20 years. I love you. We were at a critical point in our marriage around 12 years ago. We were making a cross-country move. We were deciding whether or not we were going to have children. We are getting prepared for more substantial ministry. So we fasted from sex for 40 days and spent that time in prayer. It was like 400 years of wandering in the desert. (laughs) No, really, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. We found that the intimacy gained in prayer was in some ways deeper than the intimacy gained in sex. But that's the one time we've done that in 20 years. I think that's the kind of thing Paul is talking about. It's so important to give yourselves to each other unless there's a specific reason why you're both praying together about something. That is the only time Paul says, say, I have a headache. Now look again at verse 3. 
I know you're uncomfortable, but I want you to hear this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Likewise, the wife, her husband. The Bible's saying something incredibly erotic. Incredibly. You're going to blush. I'm going to warn you. He's saying the main concern in the bedroom should not be the getting of pleasure, but the giving of pleasure. He's saying the greatest joy in sex is giving, not receiving. How do you know as a married couple when you have graduated to to postdoctoral level intimacy? You know when the thing you most look forward to is giving, not receiving. Her conjugal rights, not your demands. It's beautiful. Frankly, it takes years and years and years and years to get to that point because most of us are so selfish. But once you do it that way, you'll never want anything else. 1 Corinthians 7 is not about a husband or a wife demanding something from each other that the other spouse is uncomfortable with. That's the way it sometimes gets used. Some very popular Christian books put it in that language. Don't read those. They're dangerous and harmful. It's about spouses freely giving themselves to each other. It's the privilege of enjoying giving, not a right to demand receiving. The text is not about pressuring your spouse into acts she or he doesn't want to do. It's about serving your spouse to the glory of God. So can I be so bold as to make a couple of suggestions? Six sex suggestions. I gotta do this fast. One, you gotta come to the point of realizing what is a symptom and what is a cause. Or to put that another way, recognize the difference between fruit problems and root problems. If you're here today and you're married and your intimacy with your spouse is not good, almost certainly that is a sign of something else. It's a symptom. It's not the root. So I want to ask you to do something courageous, brave, bold. Get pastoral counsel so that the, the root can be fixed so you can enjoy the fruit. If not, you're going to be fighting about the fruit and it's not going to fix anything. Two, repent. To to repent means to admit I've done wrong, to change my mind. It's not good for me to look at that anymore. And then to go the other direction. I will be shocked if every person here today doesn't have something That if you ask the Lord, God, have I sinned sexually? I'll be shocked if something doesn't come to every single mind in this room. Repent. Confess that sin then to someone. Men, if you have been sinning against your wife, you need to tell her. Wife, if he says, 
I've been watching porn for 10 years and you never knew it. You will be emotionally devastated. He, he is going to feel better when he does that. You are going to feel awful. You're going to need support. There's a book we give out often called When My Husband is Addicted to Pornography. There are sisters here in the room who will walk faithfully with you as you try to recover from that in God's strength. And the Lord's command to you is that you forgive. You can't get back at him. It won't work. You've got to choose to forgive. And men, then you've got to choose to accept God's forgiveness of you. Number three, get into a Titus 2 relationship today. Titus 2 says, men more mature in the faith should be spending time with men less mature, younger in the faith, helping each other with the practical issues of life. It says the same thing for women. If you don't have a relationship like that, both one you're being helped by and one you're helping in, and you're a believer, you're a Christian, you are missing out of one of God's greatest gifts in the church. Before you leave this room, go to someone and ask them, would you consider spending some time with me? You don't have to, it's not a marriage. You don't have to spend the rest of your lives together. But benefit from the wisdom of others, particularly in this area. What do you do to avoid falling prey when you're tempted? That's a great question. You need strategies or you're not going to make it. This stuff is coming to you. You don't have to go looking for it. Number four, give your whole self to your spouse. Husbands, you're called by God to lovingly lead your wife. So start doing that. I'm not saying go home and say, all right, baby, bedroom time. God says so. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sit with her, hold her hands, look her in the eye, and listen to her. Take an interest in her. Can you name the top three things your wife is currently struggling with? Do you know what she's worried about? Do you have any idea what to pray for? Do you know the last thing she got really internally thrilled over? Do you know what's keeping her up at night? Give your whole self to your spouse. If you do, you will find not only is the father smiling, and that's most important, but she will give her whole self to you. It is a natural, reciprocal response. Number five, be patient in the bedroom. When Jill and I got married, we were both virgins. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, we were under-impressed. Um, she is like 
uh, I don't understand. She's like wine. She gets better with age. I am falling apart. I have probably 15 to 20% of the strength physically that I did when we got married. And we're having better sex as old people than we ever did at 20. It takes time. Be patient. And finally, treasure Jesus above everything and everyone else. Friends, I have important news for you. There is no sex in heaven. Why? Well, it's because marriage is a shadow of Jesus' relationship with us. And not even the greatest moment of pleasure between a husband and a wife compares to the ecstasy of being in God's presence with God's people forever and ever and ever. Sex is simply a parable. The pleasure of a husband and wife united in happy sex is merely a tiny hint of the unimaginable joy of being fully united with Christ. So enjoy sex. Enjoy it often. But don't make a God out of it. It's a great gift. It's a lousy God. Now we're over, but will you give me three more minutes? If you cannot do that, get up and I'm not going to be angry or call you out or make fun of you. This time, today. All right? Give me three more minutes. To those of you, I I think it would be um, unchristian of me to not end with this. To those of you who are in the room who are still considering the claims of Christ, so you would not call yourself a Christian, let me speak to you just for a moment. Please don't misunderstand me. Your greatest need is not to start having better sex. Your main challenge is not your sexual past or even your sexual present. Your main problem is not what you've done sexually. And the church's solution to you is not that we demand you change your behavior. The message of Christianity isn't clean yourselves up sexually. Please don't hear that. Jesus' foremost goal for you is not that you stop watching porn, but that you start living him. By an act of sheer willpower, you could end your sexual craziness, take on the Christian view of ethics and morals. You could even do that in the quote-unquote name of Christianity. You could become a really moral person. And all of that would be a tragedy. The Bible does not exalt abstinence or even marital fidelity as the means to a right relationship with God. Instead, it holds up Christ, crucified and resurrected. Christ is the goal. Christ is the means. Everything is about him. The message of Christianity isn't stop your bad behavior and start some good behavior and God will be impressed. Contrary to 95% of the message that Christians seem to give. They're wrong. That's not what the Bible says. 
The message of Christianity is that we're all hopelessly dead spiritually because we've rebelled against God. We're enslaved to sin. We're unable to make ourselves clean on the outside because inside we're morally wicked. But God in grace and mercy saw our hopelessness, left heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, rose in victory three days later, demonstrating that the Father accepted the payment for sin. And now, God the Holy Spirit can come and live in you and cleanse you and give you the joy of increasingly knowing God. That is Christianity. Now, does that mean your sexual behaviors ought to change? Yes, of course it does. But those changes are the result of experiencing a love so grand you can't imagine clinging to something so foul again. It's only once you've learned to stand before God naked and unashamed, unembarrassed, nothing to hide, that you'll be able to stand before your spouse the same way. That's what the gospel I believe with all of my heart, this is the first time in seven years I have said this in this room, I believe God wants to do something special today. I believe there are people here that need to repent. There are couples that need to start towards a path of reconciliation. There are people that need to pick up the phone and call someone and say, I'm sorry I hurt you. This relationship has to end. There are computers that need to be thrown in the trash. There are Christian brothers that need to go find another Christian brother. There are sisters who've been abused and you've never told anyone and you need to come out to get help. There are couples who have massive, massive private problems and you haven't talked to anyone. So I want to ask now if the transition team members, staff members, GC leaders, men and women, if you would stand up and go spread around the room, please. And then I want to ask the rest of you, and even ask those people as well. What does God want you to do today as a result of his word? Maybe you're not even a Christian and you've heard a message today of hope and you want hope. Look around you. These are godly men and women that we love and respect. They're here to serve you. I'm going to pray. I want to ask you to act. Sit quietly and pray. Talk to somebody next to you. Come seek help from one of these. But please, please, don't walk away unchanged by God. This is a community of hope. It's also a community where we struggle with sin and the results of other people's sin. 
And we've got to be transparent if we're going to be healed. God, thank you that you've not left us without truth, but you've spoken so plainly. Your word has the power to change us. I pray if there's people here today that need to accept Christ and become Christians, that they would. I pray if there's couples who need to sit here and talk, that they would. I pray that brothers would go to brother, sisters would go to sister, that God, today would be the start of something beautiful, surprising, healing, that, God, you would convict us in everything we need to be convicted of. And that dozens and dozens and dozens of people could leave this room in a few minutes, having met with you, talked with their brothers and sisters, and gotten a fresh start. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to respond in whatever way the Lord is working in your life. You're dismissed.